Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. My name is Mike Kelly. With me, as always, my co-host, Mr. Nathan Bear. Hi. 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 Yeah. yeah. It's, it's you again. Yeah, it's me again. And with us today, a very special guest host, a contributor to a website known as Dead Shirt, amongst many other uh, multimedia endeavors, uh, a man we're very proud to have on the program with us this evening, Dominic Griffin. Dominic. Hey, how's it going? Very good. Good to be here. Yeah. So uh, let's get right to it yeah. because it's a very dense film. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, dense this evening. Um, I mean, Godzilla versus Hedorah. What what can be said that will explain this film to people who have not seen it? Try and encourage them to see it. Every two minutes, it changes to a completely different thing, and you're just like, "All right, I guess it's this now." <laughs> You know, you just kind of have it, to. Like, it, it feels like a like a like a uh, an early Bond film. Right. Then it feels sort of like a uh, you know like a, I don't know like a late seventies science program for children. And, right. and over over throughout the whole film, it feels like you know a, a light Yodorowsky film. Like, well, I made El Topo, so now I'm going to make you know yeah. El Topo Zilla. <laughs> Right. Sorry. It, it it feels like our director uh, Yashimitsu Bano. Yeah, she meets a banner, yeah. Um, was just stuck with the the most kind of loose uh, structure of a Godzilla movie in that you need to have people in it, you need to have Godzilla, you need to have another monster, you need to have Godzilla and that other monster fight yeah. at some point. And, and within that structure, it just goes insane. Like, mm-hmm. it just really... Um, just explores the space and, and like never before, and and has, in a way that's never been done again. Yeah, thank God. Films. Well, no, in a way, I mean, you know, it's it's, it's experimental and it's very strange and it's very off-putting at times. <laughs> there are there were several moments where I wanted to stop. Three moments, in fact, where I did stop. I watched this film in three bursts over a twelve-hour period of time because I couldn't take the the whole capsule. I couldn't swallow right. the whole. I had to, you know. Break it into small milligram, uh, bite-sized chunks. Uh, definitely, it, it masks its uh, a very dark tone and a very yeah. uh, mm-hmm. uh, serious tone, and, and, and it pushes the boundaries in some ways for what uh, you know a kaiju film can really accomplish. Mm-hmm. But you don't really notice that at first because it's just fucking absurd the entire yeah, time. Right. So. Uh, you know, it's it's like someone's trying to get you to eat like a really healthy thing, but they just covered it in cake frosting that was mixed with spray paint <laughs> and barbiturates. So um, it's um, it's it's a, it's a treat, is is what I'm trying to get across. Yeah, basically, uh, beautiful cinematography. Uh, this gorgeous, and the next film, gorgeous. Yeah, uh, Godzilla versus Gigan have some like really nice '70s, you know, slick colors. You know, everything you like about movies from this decade, because this is the first film of the 70s of the Godzilla franchise. Very pop like, art, yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, I mean, it's a first-rate production. I mean, they're definitely yeah. pumping money into this yeah. thing. It's not, not a not whole like, lot of money. Not a ton, Comparatively, right? But it's not the, like, embarrassing shoestring, like gambling debt budget of like Godzilla versus Megalon yeah. or whatever where it's like here's four hundred dollars you have six days make a picture alright I'll use see use the later. old suit you don't need a new suit he's the same guy just put some aluminum tape over the armpits no one's looking at the Kids armpits love Ultraman just put this guy with the 
Yeah, but <laughs> just use the destruction scene from the end of Gidra. It doesn't matter that it's from 1964. It's okay. Um, I guess maybe a little bit of background onto the production. Okay, well... Um, or just what's going on. You know what? Let's take it even further back. Where did we last leave Godzilla? We last left Godzilla with Godzilla's Revenge, 1969. Uh, the last... Uh, Film directed by Shiro Honda up until the terror of Mechagodzilla, but that's that's later. Um, so that film was basically, uh, well, nobody's watching this anymore, so we'll just add kids and right. uh, it, montages of all the best bits of the last film. It's a films. clip show feature film. Exactly. Which should not work in any way. But no, it's, instead, it kind of does. As a pederasque fantasy, yes, it does. It works perfectly. But, uh... <laughs> So it works well enough. Yeah, well enough. Um, the this film was directed by uh, Yoshimitsu Bano, who was uh, an assistant director on several films directed by Kurosawa. Uh, assistant directors in Japan have more prominence than assistant directors in Hollywood. In Hollywood, an assistant director is more like a traffic cop on the set, making sure everybody's where they're supposed to be. An assistant director. In Japan is more like how the title sounds. He's actually an assistant to the director, and many times will take up things such as second unit direction, as well as uh, directing many of the scenes if the director is not present. Uh, so just uh, more of a close relationship with the director than in America, where the AD is closer to the producer. Uh, anyways, that being said, uh, after working with uh, one of the greatest minds in film history, uh, he... I guess, assumed that uh, he, it would transfer to him. Uh, and so he wrote the script for uh, Godzilla vs. Ghidorah. Uh, and yeah. uh, he was inspired. He went to a, a beach, a coastline that was near a factory, and he saw the pollution. And he was like, you know what? This is where Godzilla's next opponent needs to come from. And there's an overarching thing that's going on in the Japanese culture uh, in the late 60s, early 70s, where they're getting to a point where burning coal, generating electricity in the old way, because it's not you're not dealing with a large landmass, and it's, they're, they're running into the wall, where the population is exploding. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the business sector is going like like crazy. So they need, and the, the pollution is stacking up, and, and they're having a tough time getting rid of it. And there was a little bit of that uh, sort of shoehorned into Godzilla's Revenge, some of that stuff that Honda was filming in, in the real world yes. uh, universe, because uh, he was sort of freed up because of the structure of that film. He could insert some of those shots of the smokestacks, the pollution, the smog, if you will. Yeah. Now, we're you know, that was a year and a half ago. Now we're in 1971, and the Japanese government is pushing for uh, a, a solution to this. A, a they're well, they're pushing for nuclear energy. Yeah, and they're tr the message is trying to get nuclear energy to the public, which in in a, in a yeah. like a, a, a digestible way. Which is you have to remember, Japan is the only country that has been uh, nuked. There has never been another country that has been uh, physically attacked by right. an atomic weapon, other than Japan, and Japan got two of them. Uh, on Hiroshima and then uh, Nagasaki following. So you have to keep that in mind when thinking about the idea of pushing nuclear energy in Japan. It's uh, a subject matter that uh, even Kurosawa tackled uh, later in the 90s of just you know, kind of the, the fear or the mistrust of uh, nuclear energy. Uh, whether it's good or bad, uh, that's definitely up to debate, but um, especially at this time with the memories of the war so fresh. Right. Um, 
Uh, you lot. definitely have people who are still alive. Yeah. Who experienced it. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 Now, uh, it should also be mentioned that at this time, uh, corporations, uh, along with you know the great economic uh, breakthrough that happened in the 50s and later into the 60s, uh, corporations uh, started doing things uh, which... Uh, you know, we, we'd all consider uh, bad, uh, like dumping chemicals into the rivers. Uh, there was a documentary made, I believe, in the early 70s about uh, Japanese uh, women who, like, went and protested uh, a, a corporate meeting of a certain chemical company uh, because their children had been born deformed through and, and died, and people had died around this village because of the dumping in uh, their local lake. Right. So uh, this is uh, the the subject matter itself, despite uh, maybe its indigestibility or uh, you know what have you, uh, would definitely be uh, quite topical. Right. I mean, we're talking. I think the first Earth Day is nineteen seventy two or seventy three. Around that time. Um. So the the environmental the beginnings of the environmental movement is is uh, coalescing and and hitting its stride. And it's during all of this stuff, sort of the governments try to push for nuclear power, the pollution, everything. This is the environment that Bano's sort of looking around and thinking, well, what do I do? I mean, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. The smog monster, Hedora, you know. Its name derives from the Japanese word for sludge. Mm. Um, and in that way, this film kind of harkens back or calls back the original Godzilla, as far as nuclear power is 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 plays a part, but as far as um, it's an environmental film, yes. Uh, but now it's been reversed, where Godzilla has gone from being this sort of kind of symbol for the destruction of nuclear uh, bombs to mm. now he is the savior or the alternative to uh, pollution or or smog or or you know what have you. So it's it's really crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. So it's, it's, it's uh, a the, complete the, switch. The, the the ideology behind it is amazing, though uh, the execution. Well, we'll uh, we'll get into. I that. mean, the execution is what well, you have to say. Unique. It's unique, <laughs> and and you know what? They didn't uh, phone it in. There yeah. there's some hard choices made in this movie. It's some, some creative. Uh, this is a filmmaking crusade into the you know psychedelic heart of of madness of the early '70s hipsters in Japan. Yeah. Like it's just like. There's no going back. Yeah. <laughs> um, a little background on the, the the actual shooting of it. The the actor who played who was wearing the Hidora suit. Yeah. Uh, Just a thing of beauty. Sat- that suit. <laughs> this gentleman Satsuma. Uh, he would go on starting with. I think he played Guy Gan as well, mm-hmm. and then starting with Godzilla 1985, he played Godzilla all the way through to uh, Godzilla versus Destroya. Mm. So on the set, and and the Hedora design is amazing. Like the way it keeps changing and transforming, you really see the influence of like the Ultraman or like this, those types of shows where it's like now that is a part of the thing where the transforming is happening instantly, and mm-hmm. it's just like it's completely absurd, you know. Yeah. Uh, and the full size Hedora costume. Is taller than Godzilla by like, you know, it looks like a good a large margin, a yeah. large margin. Like the, the the fight between them at the end, the Godzilla, final form of the Hedora, final yeah. form, form number four, 
Uh, Godzilla's outmatched. Like yeah. he's like he's small. He's like the scrawny little punk. Yeah. You know, um, that suit took a very long time to put on, and the uh, again the suit actor Satsuma uh, was struck with appendicitis during the filming. Uh, and they had to do an emergency appendectomy on him while they were filming, and they it, the suit is so big that they couldn't take it off. So they had to do the appendectomy to him while he was wearing the Hidora suit. And uh, so that is amazing. Also, he found out during this ordeal that painkillers have no effect on him. So just uh, basically, you know, if there is a hell, he was in it that day. <laughs> Everything was coming at Millhouse then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, when you watch this film, the one thing, I mean, it's hard to sort of generalize everything, but, like, it does stand out as that almost everything is is radically different, or whenever something has been bland in one of the previous films, <clears throat> now a choice has been made, you know, whether for the good or for the bad or for the sane or for the insane. And a thing, a key component that you have to kind of realize going into it is that the producer, uh, Tanaka, was hospitalized for the majority of the filming of this. He was there for like the first week or so, and then he had to go uh, to the hospital. So like, it was just the director. It was just Bano, and he was just going crazy the whole time, unchecked. Mm. And with the budget... And all that power the studio pushed behind him because, you know, Godzilla, this is a flagship franchise. Godzilla's Revenge, a year and a half ago. So, like, this is the first Godzilla film of the 70s. This is, it's been, a, like, a year and a half. They want to, like, bring him back and have it be a big thing. And there's, like, a lot running. This like, Godzilla's Revenge was um, December 20th, 1969 is when it was released. Uh, this one was July 24th, 1971. So it was like right in the middle of, of summer and it was like, you know, this was a big thing and it's incredible. I mean, it's it sold uh, 1,740,687 tickets and um, so that was about on par with the next film, Godzilla vs. Gigan. We should mention the music. The music, um, later the same music is used in Godzilla vs. Megalon. Um, not the whole score, but uh, lar large sections of uh, you know, the use of the trumpet. Right. I look at this used. as the more structured, uh, disciplined, classical version of the Godzilla vs. Megalon score, because Godzilla vs. Megalon just goes into these jazz odysseys with electric guitar accompaniment yeah. that go on for like 20 minutes, where it's just like... They don't. This is clearly yeah. there was no music on any page, and they're just. It, it was just they had a, they had space. a reel to reel, and it's right. like okay, this works, this right. works, this works, and freak out, you know, yeah. just go. <laughs> um, but this is more kind of the 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 basis of that. Does the score work? It's not one of my favorites, but I think it works. The, Godzilla's theme is a bit ridiculous. I would say, and I mean, I'm not a bit of a Godzilla neophyte, I suppose, comparatively here, but uh, I would say the music in this movie is amazing. A, is the first thing I want to say. <laughs> the second thing I want to say is that uh, I thought that all of those aspects of it, the things that I, th I think a, a random person would watch and go, this is ridiculous, why is that piece of music playing when we first meet Godzilla? Are, th that's Is this a dream sequence? Mm. Why is this happening? <laughs> to me, I was just like, well, yeah, Godzilla's coming to save the day, do you, like, what piece of music would make that work for you, personally? Like, do you need, like, 
you know, uh, like a John Williams fanfare <laughs> or something. Like, it's absurd. Just go with it. Let yeah. the movie open up with, like, a, a 70s Japanese pop version of a Bond ballad. That's, yeah. Go with that. You right. know what I mean? Uh, to me, it made the, whole, the entire movie feel like the, the, the Tokyo Drifter of Godzilla movies. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just bright and vibrant and, like, rock and roll and love and death and all this, all these things. And, like... Yeah, why not? Right. So it, it, you feel like it's something that the kids got away with while the parents were, like, out of town. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> and I think they got away with it, And but, like, I don't... I mean, I know that so far the tenor of this conversation has kind of been like, man, you know, he really screwed the pooch with this movie, and let's be honest, like... I mean, if, if, if that's what you're getting out of what I'm saying, no, I'm, I'm no. just trying to lay down the history. No, no, no. I, I think this movie is, is a success. If we look in the ledger, right, there's a... You know, just, just on paper, facts is facts... This is the movie. This is, you know, what, what, what the studio told him, right? Like, this is, you've killed Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? well, they, they brought him in, and the president of Toho was like, you've, you've ruined Godzilla. You've destroyed the franchise. He you will never be allowed to direct another film again. He only did two other projects for the studio after this. He was the assistant director on The Prophecies of Nostradamus in 1974, and he was uh, supervised... Kashan Robot Hunter in 1988. So, like, that was it. So, yeah, and and his main thing after this movie, and we'll hit upon this a little bit more afterwards, has just been doing Godzilla vs. Hedora 2. So which that's is, what, which like, has he, never and may never yeah, happen. He is incredibly proud of this and movie. And I want... Can I say something? I... Think he should be proud. Word. I I want to go on, on record as saying I think this is better than Heaven's Gate, but not just me. I you know I, I I'm sorry, Mike. Uh, hey, I just hey, don't apologize to yeah. me. I'm, I'm not apologizing to you. I'm apologizing what? to Mr. Chimino. I um, it's I think it's uh, I think it's like sort of like a little underrated gem. You know what I mean? To me, this movie is the equivalent of like kind of a goofy pop song from the 80s that, like, at the time you thought was stupid because it was catchy and weird, and then, like, decades have passed and you can look back at it and go, that was, like, a really important song, and, like, I'm right. glad we all listened to it, you know? Mm, yeah. I'm glad I know all the words. There's, like, exactly. It, it seems ridiculous and throwaway on the surface, but if you just sort of squint your eyes, there is some actual film craft going on here. Yeah, I would have loved to see this man make other movies. Right. Joel Schumacher just completely, you know, uh, Joel Schumacher ruined Batman. I know we all, it's like it's like a beaten to death thing. But they kept letting him make movies, okay? Right, like, yeah. he got to keep making movies, and we got to see Joel Schumacher do some cool stuff, some mediocre stuff, and some bad stuff, right? Because you're never always going to hit a home run. Uh, Yoshimitsu Bono made this one movie, and they were like, <laughs> nope, nope, done, done. <laughs> Not there, there are some things you did right. I'd love to see you with maybe a different character. Yeah. Maybe we don't give you, uh, you know, our, our franchise player anymore, but maybe we give you, like, a little story over here. No, I was like, you're done. Can you imagine the kind of films this man would have made if, like, he got to rewatch this and go, you know what? Probably shouldn't have had the this happen, or I probably shouldn't have, you know, had the fight scenes be so weirdly balletic you know what i mean or maybe if he had had just uh, another writer a, a second pair just, of or eyes. if the producer yeah. had been around just yeah. to right. go actually we're not gonna uh shoot the sequence at all this entire sequence <laughs> yeah. doesn't need to be in this film yeah you're wrong I, I read a couple of interviews uh with bono on the way over here um and the the vibe i got wasn't so much like you know, a weird iconoclast filmmaker left to his own devices making crazy choices. It felt more like he had a shorter shooting schedule than, you know, the other Godzilla films that preceded him. Probably less of a budget, less of a crew, maybe not drastically so, but enough. 
And that a lot of the decisions he made were maybe less, I'm going to be weird and artsy and like I'm doing a lot of drugs and more, all right, how do I very quickly and cheaply get this across? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, um, we can discuss it more, I guess, once we get into the actual plot right. uh, dynamics of the story, but just the premise and everything, the way it's set up, seems like it's set up the way an independent filmmaker thinks, which is like, all right, I got these many actors, these many locations, I'll make it work. You know, yeah. the entire thing's going to take place in a bookstore, I guess. I mean, Roger Corman made movies worse than this, and he's one of the greatest filmmakers that's still alive to this day. In a way, I think he is sort of, we're seeing the, the beginning work of a nascent auteur, and who's just cut, and they just go, no more. Right. You know, imagine if after David Fincher made Alien 3, which we could probably conclusively agree is just an odd movie, yeah. if they were like, no, just never. Yeah, <laughs> right. That sucked. <laughs> and then we never got Seven, or Fight Club, or... or... I want to see what Bana's Zodiac would have done. I would yeah. kill right now with my bare hands any stranger you put before me if I got to see Yoshimitsu Bano's take on, on Zodiac. Just like, I, can you... Uh, yes, I, I'll, I'll kill a man right now if I have to. I'll do it. So now, uh, the plot, which uh, thickens, just oh, like Hedorah. Just like the uh, waterways around Japan in 1971, thickening with uh, mannequins and grandfather clocks and every other piece of sludge that one can uh, think of, which is depicted in immaculate, disgusting detail in the first couple of minutes of Godzilla vs. Hedorah, a.k.a. Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster. Not not since uh, Kurosawa's Drunken Angel has such a, you know, thing of sludge over water and so uh, beautifully uh, used to personify the uh, theme yeah. of the overall film. Do you think that was real uh, pollution or was that Toho like did they I think I feel like it had to be Toho yeah because it was too meticulously curated to right. be actual pollution. Yeah. You know what I mean like it, it looked too Poetic. I feel like yeah. actual pollution and sludge and, and water just looks like uh, any live-action commercial you saw as a youth for Captain Planet's series, uh, <laughs> where you yeah, like the one powerful image they had was like the the goose stuck in the right. six-pack ring, right? right. But it, this it was really just desolate and and apocalyptic almost. Yeah. I uh, when I fr- when I started watching it, you know, because I had almost no knowledge going into this film about anything relating to it at all. I, I thought, oh, are they doing what is like this is like the end? The end is like this is what the world has been like because of the Godzilla fighting this thing and then we're gonna see it and go back and it's a flashback. No, it just this was just setting up the right. the whole environmental thing. I thought it was very I feel like James Cameron has probably seen this movie a lot of times. This is my definite <laughs> He thing. probably has. Um it it goes from this into oh, it's over these images that we hear the first few chords of Save the Earth. Uh, which is the opening song. And it is a lot like a James Bond song. I mean, no other Godzilla film has started like this. Mm. I mean, it's so sexy yeah. and cool <laughs> yeah. and awesome. And I just thought... It's such a quantum leap over the like the, the beginning of like Godzilla's Revenge, where it's just you know lazily showing clips from the last movies with some other music or whatever. I mean, it's like... They this is a whole other thing. They they got the the psychedelic thing where they've got the two planes of uh, you know rubber or whatever with the tie dye liquid and they're pressing mm-hmm. it to make it look like it's got like a pulse or whatever. Everything's freaking out. It is perfect. Like yeah. it, it's it's probably the only thing in the movie that isn't in service of what Bono seemed to be going for with the environmental pollution angle. 
but it is cool. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I don't really know quantifiably how much it adds to the movie, but I thought, well, this, all right, I can watch this movie then. Like, right. no matter how bad the rest of it is, <laughs> right. that was fucking cool. It's kind of like a student film. If you notice, like, a lot of kids who go to film school, they, they all watch, like, the same Sergio Leone spaghetti westerns. So when they try and do something like that, they always make sure that the opening sequence to whatever they're doing is great. The rest can be up to debate but they always are like i want to open this just like that right. i've got i've got to make a huge splash and yeah make, you it, know. and you know it, i mean in, in a weird way it kind of worked because you know that opening the opening images are are, are are dark and harrowing and beautiful in their own way but at, at that moment once i saw like the the beginning of godzilla's head coming out of the sludge which yeah. is like the beginning of hedora i could at the time i was like is godzilla just hanging out in trash like the trash, I don't know where he left off in the last movie. Something like his trash bringing him back to life. Is he be like a trash powered thing now? And then, and then it cuts right from that to this song, and I was like, oh, this is cool. Like for a moment, I forgot what I was gonna watch, and I thought, is this like a Suzuki movie? Like, is there gonna be like gambling and like yeah. just like sake shots thrown back? You know. And little did you know there were gonna be both of those <laughs> later on in the movie because this movie contains. I, Everything. I, yeah. I, I described it to people as like it's every Godzilla film ever made combined, and several that were never made. <laughs> it's it's everything all at the same time. It is um, as if Yoshimitsu Bano was creating some sort of a compendium, looking back at the history of Godzilla. Yeah. But he was making it from a hundred years from now, <laughs> for here, you know, uh, as yet unmade Godzilla films. Right. Um. So it it's fascinating to me. Like the first. Okay. So you have that um sequence ending and it ends with a destroyed grandfather clock and you can hear the cuckoo clock going and the, the, the clock going off even though you can tell that clock that you're looking at is not doing that so right away like the first sound effect there's sort of a disjointed like well that's sort of like you're a little off kilter by that and that we go right into uh, the the this child actor uh, and his, the kid's name is Ken. Yeah, and the um, true hero, the true of, hero yeah. of versus the Hedera, Yeah, and um, he and he does a, a fine job in this one because probably because he had some good direction. Um, and he's sort of playing around in his backyard, and he's got all these Godzilla toys. And um, his Made in China. It, yeah, and his <laughs> uncle his uncle comes up to him and is like, "Oh, you know, you really like Godzilla, huh?" And he's like. Yeah, he's a Superman because he's like putting the you know he's like making him fly around and making him slide down his you know his jungle gym or whatever. And to me, this you know I know I've said this before. It's like this is where you draw the line in the sand where it's like okay, Godzilla's Revenge. You know, Inshiro loved Godzilla. He had Godzilla toys, but Godzilla's Revenge did not take place in the Godzilla universe. It took place in the real world, so yes. it made sense that Inshiro would. Uh, like Godzilla, Godzilla memorabilia. and Godzilla toys. Now we're in the universe that Godzilla is, and, and has what attacked. sort of torturous world do they live in? Right, where they make toys for children in the likeness of the monster right. who was is, murdered and exactly. slaughtered so many this of their like citizens. This is like having a hurricane playset. This is like, <laughs> like having a fucking Katrina. Katrina is yeah. like a real Superman, <laughs> right, right. huh? Like if you had a fucking Katrina Lego playset, you know? <laughs> this is like... like, like so, and, and he says he's a Superman. I can see that Hot Wheels commercial right, right now. <laughs> wow, the lemmy's they really pull, you, away. you pull one brick away in the water just to watch <laughs> right. dirty, exactly. muddy water. Like... So that, to me, is an insane concept that will never make sense. Well, you know, and oh, wait, it carries wait, out wait. throughout the rest of the films. But if, if you recall, in uh, 2013, uh, this year, we had uh, Pacific <laughs> Rim, where they talked about 
uh, the effects uh, post uh, first contact with the kaiju. I mean, I think you can see I, a I lot of stuff in Pacific Rim yeah. um, starting. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. True. What's interesting though is in that film. People wanted to, I feel like anyway, the kids wanted to play with kaiju dolls and toys and action figures and ephemera because they wanted to have their, you know, their Jaegers, like, fight them and stuff because they needed a villain, right? He is just playing with Godzilla and another (laughs) nameless monster. Yeah. And the only reason I end up... Possibly Riggins. The only reason (laughs) I end up excusing the sequence later on the film is because this odd little boy, this weirdly kind of frustratingly precocious child, his love and seemingly psychic link to yeah. Godzilla as a being grounds Godzilla's presence in the movie at all. Because right. there's no other reason for this to be a Godzilla movie other than that his, his name's in the title yeah. and that this is the franchise we're supporting. <laughs> right. This otherwise would just be a movie about Hedora, like right. the real fucking star. And uh, a, a, a scientist and his kid who, who try to yeah. stop him single-handedly because the government apparently doesn't care. <laughs> It's it's in this this like one forty second scene of both him playing with the uh, the toys and then the the guy coming out saying you know you really like Godzilla it's like yes he's a Superman that is what solidifies okay Godzilla is the hero of the children and he is looked upon as a superhero and he is he, a man of the people he, he is a he's officially a good guy. He's not just a monster that's been woken up on an island who happens to be around some of the bad monsters and, you know, I mean, accidentally to, monsters It, it would them. be as if FDR really liked Japanese right. people. It, he's was... no longer, yeah, he's no longer that natural disaster that people sort of manipulate and direct into, into you know, the opponents. To for be their fair, game. though, if you take out this 40-second sequence, <laughs> the film is exactly that. Oh, yeah. Almost as though he had written the film without that sequence and realized... Yeah, why is this Godzilla show? There is no reason to be... Like, just what, one person said to him on set, but why is Godzilla here? And he's like, ah, oh, shit. Well, that's a line later on in the movie. You're hearing the newscast. Like, the guys, when they're talking about the death tolls, another unique thing to this film and yeah. this film alone, when he's like... And, and the newscast is like, and why is Godzilla here? We have so many questions, but no answers. Like, the humans in this movie are asking the real questions that we would actually be asking, but, like, that's not where the action is, that's not where the story is, if, but it's yeah, happening on yeah. the periphery. In, in, in a, I think in a modern take of this story, uh, we would have cutaways to, you know, the, the sort of Roland Emmerich, Michael Bay style, uh, the, the 24-hour news cycle going on, and we'd see interviews with experts and stuff. This, there is an interview with an expert on TV later right. in the film, but for the most part, once, once the action starts going down, it's just... Everyone is fucking clueless, just like we the audience <laughs> yeah, are. Right. It's horrifying. Like, well, these things are happening, and uh, we just have to cope. I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I watched the dubbed version, uh, which was a godsend. That thing is a thing of beauty, a thing of oddly just esoteric beauty. Right. Um, just the line readings in this thing. Manufactured for the 1972 release of Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster here in the States for anyone who's keeping track. Yeah, if, if, if you want to watch this film, do not even bother with the original. Just get, get to the nearest $5 bin Walmart you can get to and get yourself the English dubbed version, God, Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, for the... the the uh, startling lack of acting talent <laughs> behind the microphones. You'll be shocked. You'll be shocked and appalled. But <laughs> th- th- there's a, uh, y- you know, there's a, a real sense that the world is is just going with this. The yeah. idea that well, there's been what ten Godzilla movies have happened to these people, uh, and they're they don't even seem shocked anymore. And right. that might be to me a byproduct of like the poor acting and everyone just kind of being like, oh, well, that's happening right now. 
But I thought that added to the horror of the movie that everyone was just going with it. They yeah. were just like, and now Godzilla's here. Is he going to help us? Is he going to kill us? And it feel like it felt like Godzilla and Hedorah uh, like were significantly changing the environment. Like yes. they, they were actually yes. having an impact. Hedorah, like the 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 film at the beginning of the film, it looks basically like normal Japan, normal Tokyo. By the end of it, g- going up, leading up to the battle in Mount Fuji, when they just show a couple of shots of what I'm thinking might be Tokyo or possibly Osaka, um, it, there's like a heavy layer of smog over everything, and it looks different. It looks changed for the worse. It looks like a horror movie has happened, you know, and that's. You know, there's consequences to this movie. Um, we have to keep moving forward. Yeah, sorry. Because we're only in the first 40 seconds of yeah, the story. Yeah, so... Um, and so we, 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 point, we devoted yeah. one minute of podcast <laughs> per, uh, per, per, per second minute, yeah. of story. It is at this so point. we have to go... Okay, so the, the, this uh, kind of weird-looking fisherman old guy kind of brings this tadpole that's about nine inches long and about three inches thick so dick length yeah very good uh to uh ken's father who is a scientist of some kind named dr yano okay he's a biologist i believe at one point it says yes yeah i think i think it's Yano. yes uh dr yano uh, looks at this thing and he's like, well, it's not a tadpole, even though it looks like a tadpole. I don't know what it is, but we should go investigate the sea where it came from. So they, being uh, Dr. Yano and Ken, mm-hmm. uh, who appears to be about eight years old, nine years old. Wise beyond his years. Go to the bay and they, uh, Dr. Yano goes on, uh, puts on full scuba gear and goes in. And he's looking for Hedorah samples. And I just want to say this is very you know, nerd nerd stuff, but uh, the the exhalation or exhalation sound effects of the scuba gear is the same bubble sound effects from the original Godzilla of mm-hmm. the scuba diving at the end. It's a very specific sound. Um, and anyways, I think that's the first of a, a few callbacks that Bano does directly to the original Godzilla in this movie for people who are paying attention, mm-hmm. like we are. Um, so it's during this sort of excursion that. Ken sees Hedorah, which is now the size of, I'm going to say, a Volkswagen Beetle. Um, jump- oh, God, yes. Yeah. yeah. That fucking scene, right? This, this, this like, I would say, like a, like a giant tortoise yeah. size, right, uh, flies over this boy who, at, at this moment, uh, Ken is, is sitting on some rocks for whatever... He's cutting some knife. muscles off of the He's rock. cutting muscles off with a very frightening-looking knife for yeah. an eight-year-old to have for any reason, <laughs> unless he's a pirate. Right. And the thing flies at him with that sort of like weird intensity... And, and he's just kind of calm, and he just and sort of... Ken just just uh, serenely puts the knife in the air, right? Like like he's fucking Peter Pan, <laughs> and it just slices Hedra open, right? This is, his... It should. It's a move. It's a wound that should disembowel. It is. A, it is. It is so visceral because right. you're like, what? That's happening already, right? Uh, and then uh, and it comes absolutely out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And the, the boy seems a little shell shocked. You know what yeah. I mean? He's definitely sort of like, I just definitely stabbed something from another planet. I'd, I'd imagine. <laughs> and uh, you know, and his hand is burned because the hand he's yeah. holding the knife is burned for the rest of the movie. But doesn't seem to be in any pain either. No. He seems very like he might be in shock. But, I don't know. But if, then if, he starts calling out for his dad. Yeah, Papa. And it's very chilly because like he just calls out for his dad. You never see his dad. His dad never comes up to the surface and says, "Oh, I'm here." You never get in that, that moment, resolution. Think, in yeah. that moment, you sort of right. think that Hedera has already 
Hidora yeah. has already killed his yeah, father. Yeah. I mean, that's the way so it plays. Him screaming at Papa is like, and now this kid's an orphan? Right. Eight minutes into the movie, he's an <laughs> right, orphan? Right. Yeah. That, it's almost would have been like better. <laughs> it almost would have been better if he was, because then you see his dad, and like half of his face is fucking burned off. Like, horrifically <laughs> yeah. scarred. Yeah, like his flesh is gray and dead and flaking off like a fucking zombie. It's a great effect, I yeah. think. I mean, the makeup looks fantastic. What is so startling here is that the uh, actor portraying Yano, I don't know if it's just the physical actor and also just, the again, the horrible dubbing, totally cool with this. Yeah. He seems so fascinated by what's going on with this Hedorah thing <laughs> that he's overlooking the fact that whatever this creature is has definitely uh, mangled his flesh. Mm. <laughs> his so face. They're interviewing him like, what happened down there? Well, it definitely burned me. And, uh, but that means, like, it was like, right. all the pain was gone because he could, he, you know, now I'm bedridden and forced to analyze the, the countless amounts of data I, I gained under the, under the water's surface, you know, so, uh, Ken, again, also completely unfazed by right. him killing something and being burned and his father being burned. The only person affected by anything going on is Yano's wife. Who is just just the bewildered? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she is in a state of shock for the. She's just sort of like. I mean, she pulls herself out of it to to have one good aerobics instruction class later on. Yeah, and even I mean, that goes bad. Students. That <laughs> goes horribly wrong. That turns into a waste. She's the only there. character this entire film that I fe- that I connected to because I felt like. How she feels, that's how I feel right now. Right. And this isn't even happening to me. I'm watching this on my cell phone. Right. She's like, we need to get out of here now. Um, okay, so yes. They find a couple more of these little tadpoles. They notice that they combined a la the T-1000, where they just, you know... They, Told you. Cameron. Yeah, yeah. Cameron. They all, had, like, they... And um, Dr. Yano postulates that, like, they could all just keep combining into one big... They could just keep growing and growing... And it's around the uh, twelve-minute mark that we have a our first animated sequence in the film. The film uh, spontaneously jumps genres uh, into Yellow Submarine. Into Yellow Submarine, um, like, slightly sub Yellow Submarine yeah. quality animation. Yeah, uh, as though maybe they had farmed it out to some youths who are interested in animation for like a workshop. It's Adora breaking the ships to in half like an egg and then drinking the, the gooey insides of them. But it's a cartoon version of Hedorah. Well, the cartoon also, it, it looks much the way I imagine an, a small animated sequence might look on a sketch comedy show right. to transition to commercial break. Yeah. Like, it's definitely some Monty Python's Flying Circus shit right there. Yeah, yeah. And, Tracy Allman show. Yeah, and it's definitely, you're like, well, that's something. that's an odd choice, but I can see how maybe economically it might have been best to allude to the future of, of Hidora's destruction. This this sequence, it all sort of, because you have this, and this is immediately followed yes. by yes. the shot, the, the sun shine, or, or sorry, the sunrise, whatever it is, is completely spectacular, and then in the background you have Godzilla coming up, and you hear the the main, Godzilla's main theme. Yeah, the, uh, the farting trumpets. Yes, uh, and like, that, and that's just one shot. Yeah. And then so it's like, Godzilla is here, don't worry, or whatever. Then we go back to the ocean, the sludge, and Ken's voiceover about how Godzilla, as well as humans, Godzilla doesn't like the pollution too because it makes things smell, stinks up the ocean, and you see Godzilla breathing his fire breath onto the, the pollution, and we don't know if that is really happening or if this is what Ken is dreaming about. 
because he he wakes up and he goes and he tells his dad about this this dream so we don't know if now whatever Ken has like a psychic link with the ocean because he was attacked by Hedora and now he like knows about what Godzilla is thinking uh you know this it just keeps going like this so. in a way let's just believe that Godzilla is is this boy's this boy specifically his protector yeah because otherwise that makes perfect sense it, that, that's series. one of the only ways to make this narrative function. Right. Because, like I said, if you take out that 40-second bit at the beginning <laughs> of the movie with him playing with the toys and the, the copious references to Ken's dreams and his psychic link to Godzilla and shit, Godzilla literally shows up for no reason. <laughs> and then sees another monster and is like, oh, fuck this, we're, we're doing this, <laughs> it's going down. So this moment when he first bursts into the, into the movie is so, so great. And so refreshing. astonishing. Because you're just like... It's so vibrant. Yeah, yeah you're just like... The color is just... The red just punches Because we're what? You're 13 minutes into the movie right. now. And you're like, you know, I'm really... We really apologize for making you sit through 13 minutes of not Godzilla. <laughs> right. So we're going to give him the most... It's one step away from him walking into, like, Ric Flair's entrance music. <laughs> with a fucking robe on. Just like, is there any monsters <laughs> they need to kill now? Does anybody need any monstering? Because I'm here. Riggins, are you anywhere in sight? I'm going to take you down, too. I'm here. Don't worry about it. Let's get done. Let's get down to brass tacks. Um, we cut immediately from this to Dr. Yano's alcoholic uh, hipster younger brother in a... Uh, club, dance club, where he's watching his girlfriend who's got a body sleeve on. It looks like a precursor to body paint before they really had that worked out. She re-sings the intro song, Save the Earth, in a fast, slightly faster tempo. Still great. Uh, the, um, the guy drops acid at some point and hallucinates that everyone has fucking fish heads, okay? Yes. We don't even have enough time to talk about this. Okay? I will. I will I, I, we have enough time for me to say that this is one of those sequences where you really can say, "No, no, no, maybe you did fuck up Godzilla." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is this is a bridge too far. Right, right. Like this is where it's just like you can see him test and be like, "Oh, huh? well, what if I do this? And what if I do this?" Huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And oh wait, you're in the hospital. You can't do it. <laughs> exactly. Like, you want to come see some dailies? I'll show you some fucking dailies. There, there had to be like I just on set that day. There had to be a crew member like adjusting one of the fish heads on one of the extras and just be like. I went to college for this? Like, not, not just I went to college, it was like, it's a fucking Godzilla movie. Is he fighting like a bunch of fish head people in this one? Or is it a fish monster that makes people mutated the fish? I read the script, but you I know, didn't get it. You know? Bill, Bill, did you get the memos? Like, Carl, I read the script. No, this is just uh, the head scientist's alcoholic brother is at the bar and drops acid and hallucinates that everyone has fish heads. This has nothing to fucking do with anything other than it's the, ni- it's the early 1970s. That's it. I, you know, I, I did see an interview with Bono. See, I read an interview with Bono where he he did talk about uh, how he was he was very moved by the film Woodstock and he was very interested in that counterculture at the time and that he himself was not inspired by drugs. Like he wasn't uh, imbibing or, or, or partaking when he envisioned these sequences. He was just fascinated by that aspect of what was going on in the culture. Mm. And apparently, he could not find a more artful way to squeeze it in here than this completely extraneous sequence. Um, I mean, while this is going on, Hedorah makes landfall for the first time. It's mutated from big tadpole-like monsters, so now it's more of an amphibious creature with four uh, appendagi. And it's, uh, yes, it smokes, it takes a what could only be described as a bong hit <laughs> off of a smokestack. And it, 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 it's awkward. It's like a full minute. 
it's like there's no music. It doesn't cut away from anything. It's just Tador just kind of like his eyes start to close. You can tell it's like it looks like it's getting high, you know, and it's making these like cat purring noises or whatever. Very Freudian. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's great stuff. It's amazing. It's uh, more absurd than anything that happened on like that Chappelle show sketch where he fought Godzilla or whatever. Right, you yeah. know what I mean? Like that was like Christopher Nolan's Godzilla right. compared to this. It's like you can't believe that that like is happening in a Godzilla movie, but it is, and it's. And you're right. The, the sound, uh, in many ways, the uh, some of the best moments in this film, sound wise, uh, come from a lack of of a score right. and just very odd sound design choices and very like. Uh, um, tense, weird, like the sound drops out at moments where you're left alone with an image and you have to ponder that image without any extra auditory right. sensation. Yeah. You're just kind of like, what's happening there? Or the sound will be a, a, a half second off. And, and it really does make up for the comedic elements of, of the other parts of the movie mm-hmm. with a sense of dread that you're like, maybe this is horrific even though it's goofy. I don't know why, I, I'm just confused. Right. Right, right. It, you you feel um, just sort of cut cut free of like genre, and you're yeah. just sort of like ah uh, tumbling around and just grabbing on and trying to like make sense out of what you're seeing. It really reminded me of like what it's like to be like a child when you're when you're when you're <laughs> yeah. watching a movie that you don't quite understand right. like genre convent like right. you haven't you haven't had just twenty years of reading things about movies and watching movies and you're. You're just stuff's happening, and you gotta go with it. Right. Yeah. And um, it it made me feel like a child in the worst possible way. <laughs> hey, everybody! This is Mike back in the studio. Believe it or not, uh, there is still an hour of this podcast left. So, thusly, we have to cut it in half. That's right. This shit just got real because this is now a two parter. This movie is just so dense and there's just so much to unpack that we couldn't possibly get it all done in one episode. So we're going to get that second part up as soon as possible to get you one cohesive listening experience. In the meantime, uh, I would like to uh, re-notify everybody that we do have a Facebook page now. It's uh, the Godzilla Pod War Hour. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Michael Kelly, and the handle is at uh, Godzilla Pod War. Dominic Griffin, uh, who was our guest host this week, was incredible. Uh, he writes for a website called Dead Shirt, all sorts of articles about comic books, video games, music, you name it, anything pop culture related. So if you like the cut of his jib, he's got more good stuff there on that side as well as other projects coming up. We're going to get that second part coming up in the next couple of days. Until that time, everybody, uh, thanks for listening and stay tuned.